Lecture topic. Safety from Shaitani desires. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Wa kafa wa salatu wa salamu ala ibadihi al-ladheen astafa. Amma ba'du fa'audhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Zuyyina lil-nasi hubbu al-shahawati minan nisai wal-banina wal-qanatiri al-muqantarati minan dhahabi wal-fiddati wal-khayli al-musawwamati wal-an'ami wal-harz Thalika mata'ul hayati al-dunya Wallahu indahu husnul ma'ab Waqala al-Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam اتق المحارم تكن اعبد الناس او كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم most respected ulama ikram brothers and elders reporting on hadith sharif on occasion three sahaba they came to the homes of the azwaj mutahharat the ummahatul mu'minin the noble wives of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and they came to inquire about something so obviously they would come and in the proper manner having observed the necessary parda and behind the veil and curtain they would ask the ummahatul mu'minin any necessary question Hazrat Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu ta'ala anha, due to the extent of her knowledge, many would come and acquire various masail from her, various details of deen from her. So likewise on this occasion, these three sahaba came and they came to inquire about how did Nabi Wasallam spend his night at home in terms of his ibadat. So, they were told what was his practice at home. Nabi Sallallahu practice at home, generally what's mentioned in the Hadith Sharif is that he divided his time into three sections, three portions. And this too is a very big lesson that Nabi Sallallahu even in his time at home also, he had a system there was a system, there was a tartib. It wasn't just everything ad hoc, everything just as it comes. There was a tartib. And the entire day was spent obviously in spreading the word of Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala, in serving deen, in guiding the ummad. Then at night also, Nabi Sallallahu in his home, one part of the time he had given for his family. Whatever the needs are, whatever the requirements might be, part of this was in their talim. Also in some little light-heartedness sometimes, there are many incidents in the Hadith Sharif that are mentioned about Nabi Islam sitting and having some conversation with Azwaj Muttaharad. And in that light-heartedness also, there used to be many lessons that used to be passed on. Then there was one section and portion of time 
that even while at home, Nabi Wasallam gave this portion of time back to the Ummad. The senior sahaba Kiram would come, they would benefit from Nabi Wasallam, and through them Nabi Wasallam would pass on major lessons to the people at large. And one portion of time was for Allah Ta'ala. One portion of time was dedicated for Allah Ta'ala. And the Beast Asum would then spend this portion of time in the ibadat of Allah Ta'ala. And sometimes he would spend such a great amount of time making such lengthy rakas of salah that his Mubarak feet would end up swelling. This does not happen very easily. It happens when a person is remaining motionless in one spot for a very long time. As a result of which, the circulation in the feet starts becoming affected because now there is no movement and the pressure is all on the feet. The entire weight of the body is on the feet. And now for a long duration of time, motionless. As a result, the feet start swelling. The beast also, this used to happen from time to time. And when sometimes the Ummahatul Mu'mineen, the Azwaj Mutahharat would even ask him, Atatakallafu hadha, waqad ghafar Allahu laka ma taqaddama min zambika wa ma taakhar. Are you taking so much of difficulty upon yourself? Whereas Allah Ta'ala has forgiven you entirely. You have no sin. There is no such thing as sin on you. You are masoom and sinless. So Nabi Islam's reply would be, Afala akunu abdan shakura. That is the ibadat only to be out of something that like a person does out of fear, or ibadat only out of the hope of something. Is there not ibadat also out of pure love and out of gratitude to Allah Taala? So this question perhaps was based on the notion that this should be undertaken by somebody who has some fear of being taken to task, some fear of being uh, punished or something. Nabi Islam has no such fear. He's masoom. So Nabi Islam dispelled this thought. No, no, ibadat doesn't happen purely only on those basis. That only because a person wants to get safe from punishment, only then he makes ibadat. Only because he wants some reward. Yes, indeed, Allah will bless with tremendous reward. And a person who gives his life in the worship of Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala, he'll get great position and status in the Akhirat. But the person who has true love of Allah Ta'ala in his heart, he worships Allah Ta'ala purely out of the love of Allah Ta'ala. The rest will come. But his heart and mind is focused towards what will please Allah Ta'ala. My Rabb must become happy. Allah must become pleased. Allah Ta'ala has blessed me, has created me, Allah is sustaining me. So I must do what will please Allah Ta'ala. So in any case, Nabi Islam used to spend lengthy raka, time in lengthy rakats, etc. But then the various details are mentioned in the Hadith Sharif. Nabi Islam would sometimes sleep in the first portion of the night for a while. Then he would wake up for half the night, he would spend in ibadat. Then the last one-sixth portion of the night, he would take a rest again. Sometimes he would change this position the ibadat first and then sleep towards the latter part. But the point is that Nabi Islam would sometimes spend some portion in the beginning, then he would rest in the end. Sometimes in the middle he would spend in ibadat. So there was both aspects that were there. Sometime in ibadat, sometime in rest. 
And then as far as his fasting was concerned, some days of fasting, some days he would not fast as well, in terms of the Nafil fast. So in any case, these details were mentioned to the Sahaba Ikram. So after they heard this, the narrator of the hadith says, كَأَنَّهُمْ تَقَالُّوهَا It appeared as if they felt this as something little lesser than what they expected. What did they expect? They thought that perhaps Nabi Wasallam would have been spending the entire night without any one moment going in rest. The entire night would have been in Ibadat alone. There perhaps might have been no time for his family. And they thought that he might have been fasting maybe every single day. But then when they thought that this is perhaps lesser than what we expected, they discussed this among themselves and they said, but the point is, we are not in any way on the category of Rasulullah in the sense that he is masoom, he is sinless, he is totally forgiven. So if he doesn't exert himself beyond this also, it doesn't matter. Because he is masoom after all. So when he is masoom, he doesn't have any need to exert himself so much more. But we are not masoom, we are not sinless, we have made a false that was obviously their tawazu that they would think in that manner. So don't, we cannot compare ourselves in this regard with Nabi Islam. We have to do more because we are not sinless. As a result, one person among them said that I will perform salah the entire night as of today. I will not sleep one wink. The second person said, as of today, I will fast every single day. And the third person decided that as of now I am making this decision that I am never going to get married so I can dedicate my entire life to the ibadahs of Allah Ta'ala. Because if I am going to get married there is going to be other responsibilities, there is going to be other issues that I am going to have to take care of. So I am making a decision now that this is my way forward, I am never going to get married. This message somehow went around that these people came and then eventually this was their discussion. Nabi Stasim got to hear about it as well. He came to them. And he said, were you the people who said these kind of things? Somebody said he's not going to sleep one wink. He's going to perform salah the entire night. And somebody's going to fast every day. Somebody's never going to get married. They said, yes. This was the reason why we said it. Nabi Stasim said, Inni akshakum lillahi wa atqakum bihi. I have the greatest amount of khashiyat and fear of Allah Ta'ala. I have the greatest amount of taqwa. Nobody can compare to the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. Who can compare to him? The entire creation put on one side and his extent of taqwa and khashiyat, nobody can come one iota close to it. Nabi Sallallahu said this as a introduction to what he meant to say thereafter so that nobody should feel otherwise about this. Nabi Islam then said, despite this being the one who has the greatest amount of taqwa, فَإِنِّي أُسَلِّي اللَّيْلَ وَأَرْقُدُ I sleep, I, I perform salah at night also, and I also sleep a while also. وَأَسُومُ وَأُفْتِرُ And I also fast some days, and I don't fast on some days. وَأَتَزَوَّجُ nisa, And I'm also married. I have also made nikah multiple times. And then Nabi Islam said that portion of the Hadith Sharif, which we normally hear being recited in the khutbah of the nikah, 
that is actually from this Hadith Sharif. But thereafter, I've, after having explained this, that look, this is the balance in my life. And this is part of this complete deen that Allah Ta'ala has given us. That there is this complete balance. But the balance is in that all these things are in place. There's ibadat as well. And there's time for the rights of the body as well to rest. There's time for the rights of the family as well. And everything is in its place. The Bishlafim then said, فَمَنْ رَغِبَ عَنْ سُنَّتِي فَلَيْسَ مِنِّي The one who turns away from my way of life, he decides to do something away from it, apart from it, something different. He does not want to follow exactly in my footsteps. Then فَلَيْسَ مِنِّي Such a person has nothing to do with me. He's not part of me. Now what we learn from this is, that there are certain rights that Allah Ta'ala has placed upon us. There are certain needs that insan has. And deen has given space for all this. Not just given space for it. Nabi Islam's perfect example. This has taught us how to take care of all this. Allah Ta'ala has created insan. Allah Ta'ala created insan with needs. This is part of the test of insan. Allah Ta'ala created desires in this insan. This is part of the test of insan. زُيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ حُبُّ الشَّهَوَاتِ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ وَالْبَنِينَ وَالْقَنَاطِيرِ الْمُقَنْتَرَةِ Allah Ta'ala has mentioned in this ayat of the Qur'an Sharif, Allah Ta'ala has placed all these desires in insan. The desire for nikah, the desire for children, the desire for wealth. All these desires are part of insan. On the one side, these desires sometimes have a very important function as well. For example, as part of insan's nature, he has a desire for food. It's part of his nature. This is a very important aspect in him. If there was no desire for food whatsoever, it would be like sometimes when a person gets sick and then he loses his appetite. He lost his appetite, he just doesn't want to eat anything. Now people around him are sometimes forcing him that you have to have a little bit, you have to eat something. Now he has lost his appetite, so now he is just refusing to eat. And as a result, he gets weaker and weaker. So now they have to force feed him sometimes. So now that appetite is a ni'mat of Allah Ta'ala. Because due to that appetite, due to that desire for food, he now eats. And as a result, he looks after his health in that way. But that desire, if it, it has a limit... If he trespasses that limit, now he starts overeating, he starts eating things that are harmful for him, and that is still what is within the limits of halal, that desire goes beyond that too. Now he is not concerned about whether it is halal or haram as well. And then that desire goes even beyond that, then he doesn't even bother how he is earning it too. So that desire itself had a very important function. But when it went beyond its limit, then it became a very big problem. The desire for nikah is part of insan. But if that goes beyond its bounds, one is when it is within its limit, that is the means of the next generation coming into being, who will hold up the deen of Allah Ta'ala, who will make the ibadahs of Allah on earth, who will establish the name of Allah Ta'ala. But if this goes beyond its limit, then the fitna that it will spread, that will be untold. 
the havoc it will cause, that is beyond imagination. But when it's in its limits, then it can serve a very important role. So on the one side, this has its need as well in insan. But this itself has become the test of insan. And when this goes out of its limits, then this leads to a person's destruction and downfall. When this is in its limit and it is in the control of insan, he is controlling it. When he is controlling it, then he will use it in a way that will become beneficial for him. Like he described, described the, the issue of eating. There's a need to eat. If he doesn't eat, he's going to now lose his health. But now he's controlling it. He knows when to stop. Somebody had a fish tank. There were a lot of fish in there. So one day somebody came along to visit him who was familiar with that fish tank in his house. And so many fish, all different colors of fish and whatever. So one day he came to visit him again and he sees that that tank is empty. He asked what happened here. He says, well, the enjoyment in looking at the fish for children is to see it feed. So now all the children had come now, grandchildren and so many other children were around for a while. Perhaps it might have been some holidays or something. So now constantly, they were just now, everybody was throwing in some food. Whereas it had its time to be fed. But the fish don't know what's the limits. So now they were being fed and fed and they don't know what's the limit. So they overate. And one after the other, they died off. So now they had no idea what is the limit. Food you must eat. But there's a limit, they don't know. So they don't have animals. That's a and this animal doesn't have that realization, we must stop. Though some animals also, Allah Ta'ala has given that understanding. There's a limit, you must stop here. Like in the Hadith Sharif, it is mentioned about that cow that is grazing. Illa akilat al-khadir. On one occasion, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned about dunya. That dunya is khair, but it comes with shar as well. It's good, but it comes with evil as well. It comes with a lot of tests and problems as well. So somebody asks, can this be good and evil at the same time? How can this be? Good and evil at the same time? So it's not good and evil in itself. It's what a person makes of it. Either he can make it a means of tremendous benefit for himself, or he can make it a source of his destruction also. So Rabbi Stasim gave the example, the Hadith Sharif, Bukhari Sharif, Illa akilat al-Khadir, that like that cow that's grazing, it grazes, 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 after a while, it stops. And then it will sit in a way that is now, the sun rays are falling on its belly. And it will allow that heat to now also help with the digestion. And when that has digested fully, now it will go back to grazing. In this example, Nabi Islam is saying, that now this cow has learned what's the limits. It grazes to a point, then it stops, it allows for digestion. Now because it allows for digestion, now you get all the benefit, you get the milk coming, and then in time it's fattened enough to be slotted for meat as well. But if it had no limit, it will just keep grazing non-stop, then it will die. So likewise in Sam the Shahawat, these desires that Allah Ta'ala has placed in him, this is part of human nature, Allah has made it like that. On the one side it has its role and function, 
But then it's a test that whether this insan can keep it within these limits or not. If he keeps it under control, it will benefit him. And if not, then gradually he will become a prisoner of those desires. <coughs> he will become a prisoner of those desires. The desires will control him. He will be like a helpless, some item just being thrown around. That desires will be the rider, he will be the horse. And the reins will be in the hands of the desires. And that will spur him in whichever direction it wants. That will turn it whichever way it wants to go. And the end result of such a thing is obvious. The end result of that is disaster and destruction. Therefore in the Quran Sharif, in so many places, this is what has been cautioned against. Don't ever let the desires get over you. And in this Mubarak time that we are in, the days of Hajj, Qurbani coming on our doorstep already almost, this is the message and lesson in all this. That submit to Allah wa ta'ala and don't let the desire come in the way. Desires are there, it's part of insan. Ibrahim was put through those various tests. It was teaching the entire mankind to Qiyamah the lesson. That look, these are desires, natural human desires. A person wants to have the company of his family. But Allah Ta'ala's command will leave them in a barren place. That's a halal, permissible in human nature, the desire that he's married, he has a family, and now he wants to be with them. But now you keep them in this barren place. But now that's the order of Allah Ta'ala. Ibrahim Islam didn't stop at anything. He did what he was ordered. Every father now, Ibrahim salam, at a very old age is blessed with this child, Ismail salam. Now that's a natural bond, that natural love that every parent has with the child. So that desire is there to see this child grow, to see this child now become a young person. And then what, what uh, aspirations they are for the child. Now all this you put the knife on the throat of the child. You go ahead and put the knife on the throat of that child. And Ibrahim is ready to go and do it. Allah Allah who comes, Allah didn't allow it to happen. But he made his effort to do it. Took the knife and put it on the throat of the child and tried to do what he was commanded. But Allah saved that from happening. But the lesson was that whatever comes in the way, don't let that desire control. Now this is a natural human situation. A person has this bond, this love with his wife, with his children. So that, that has a very important function as well. That's what makes him care for them. Otherwise, why will he bother? Somebody is sick, somebody is in a difficulty, somebody is in pain, he'll carry on doing what he wants. And that is why when a person becomes the slave of desire, then he stops caring for everybody around also. When he becomes a slave of his own desires, he doesn't know what's where, what's the balance, what's to be, what's the priority. So now if somebody is crying and dying, doesn't matter. At that time, if some other desire is dictating, then he'll do what he wants. But now, this, when it's in its limits, this is what makes him care for them, this is what makes him be concerned about them, he's ready to sacrifice for them. But if that goes beyond its limit, I'm not bothered about halal haram also for them. Allah's command also doesn't mean anything now. Now they must get so happy 
regardless of whether Allah is happy or not. Even if Allah is displeased, doesn't matter now, they must be happy. This went beyond the limits. This is now the desire becoming the rider. So in any case, this is a very, very important aspect that is mentioned in the Quran Sharif, in the Ahadith, that the person has to be over the desire. Desire is part of him, part of his charm. But he has to be in control. He doesn't allow it to control him. And when he remains in control, he can take great amount of benefit from this. But when he starts controlling him, he will destroy him. So, the issue is, just very briefly, that these desires, one is the desire of the stomach, shahwatul batan, the desire of the stomach, meaning now to fill the belly, and extended from the seas, all the comforts and luxuries that this body wants. So it wants to be comfortable, it wants to be pampered, it's all part of insan's once, but there's a limit to all this. And if insan is within the limits, then it'll be fine. So there's much detail to this, no time to go into those details, but that's one desire. So if he's eating within limits, he's eating in a way that's beneficial for him, then that became a great benefit for him. But he crosses that limit, he'll get sick. He'll now eat things that will be harmful for him. He's not concerned about now what he's eating, what kind of food he's consuming, all that becomes greatly harmful. Likewise, other aspects. Then is the very, very serious matter of the shahwat and the desires that Allah Ta'ala has made a part of test of insan, that as he grows up now, he has a need for a spouse, the desire of nikah, as part of human nature. But if this is uncontrolled, then this will create a major problem for him and will create a major problem in society. And the fitna that it will spread will be beyond what anybody can then deal with. Now this is a very important aspect to understand that what are the things that trigger such desires. These have been already curbed in pain. And if a person doesn't control the things that he has been restrained from, then this is going to be impossible to control. In the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala has placed the various barricades. And if these barricades are in place, then this will remain in its limits and will be a means of benefit for Islam. But take those barricades out, it will fall over the cliff. Among those very important barricades, one is the eye. Allah Ta'ala gives the command in the Quran Sharif, Kullil Mu'mineen ayahubbu min absarihim, wa yahfadu furujahum, zalika azkalahum, inna Allah khabirum bima tasna'oon. Say to the believing men, to lower their gazes, that this barricade will be in place, yahubbu min absarihim, wa yahfadu furujahum. This will become a means of guarding their private paths. And if this is not guarded, that is in danger. So now this, not guarding the gaze, this will stir that shahwat. It will stir and incite those desires beyond the limit. And now it's gone beyond the limit. First day it might not be such a problem, but the second day it will get worse. 
and the third day it become more intense, and then the fourth day it be a fire, and then Allah forbid what not. So Allah Ta'ala has already given the command in the Quran Sharif, and this is such a command that though in the Quran Sharif generally the command is in one gender, meaning the male gender is used to address everybody. But in this particular instance, Allah Ta'ala separately addresses Ullil Mu'mineen, say to the believing men, to lower their gazes. And the next ayat separately, وَقُلِّ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ يَغْضُضُنَ مِنْ أَبْصَارِهِمْ Say to the believing woman to lower their gazes. Separate address. So perhaps somebody might think, no, this doesn't apply to me. Allah Ta'ala separately addresses both genders. Now this, the Quran Sharif is just giving something. Quran Sharif is a book of Hidayat. And when we remain within the limits Allah Ta'ala has placed, then we will remain safe. Our deen will remain safe. Our iman will remain safe. And otherwise, we put everything in danger. And this is the danger of not looking after the gaze, that it will now incite that fire of desires, which will take a person to all kinds of things. Because this is a nar, it's a fire. And when that fire starts burning, then a person loses control. So, this is the one barrier. The other barrier, there is much detail to these things. This barrier Allah Ta'ala has placed for us because Nabi Islam has described it to us. What is the issue behind this? That this anazru sahamum min sihami iblisa musmum this haram glance is a poisonous arrow of shaitan. It's a poisonous arrow of shaitan. The extent to which the heart becomes distanced from Allah Ta'ala with the sin of misusing the gaze, very few things have such a deep impact and effect on the heart. person may, for example, listen to something wrong, it's sinful, it will harm him, it will impact on his heart, it will bring zulmat. A person speaks something sinful, it's sinful, it's a major sin. That sin also impacts on the heart. What he spoke which was haram, it impacts on the heart, it brings zulmat and darkness in the heart. The person did some other actions which were wrong, all this brings zulmat in the heart. But the extent of darkness that comes through the misuse of the eyes, that supersedes all this. It engulfs the heart in darkness. And as a result, when a person becomes deeper and deeper in this, then the, the taste of ibadat is gone. And the inclination towards righteousness goes away. And then it becomes a very great mission to do any good. To recite Quran Sharif, very, very difficult. But to sit the whole night and read one novel, no problem. To be surfing here, there and everywhere, what not kind of places, all that will be easy. Whole night will come out in it. But 10 minutes for Quran Sharif will become extremely difficult. What is the reason? The reason is the darkness in the heart. And the darkness that has come as a result of misuse of the eyes, that creates a barrier. Allah Ta'ala placed the lowering of the gaze as the barrier from the effect of shaitan. When that was removed, then this itself becomes a barrier on the heart. And now the heart is disinclined from righteousness. So this is the message and the lesson that is given to us in this ayat, that keep the gaze guarded, this will become the means of protection from all these illicit shahwat.
So this is one barrier Allah Ta'ala has placed for us. To protect us, to safeguard us. Like you find sometimes on the road, or some part of the road got washed away. And if somebody doesn't know this, he'll fall in there. vehicle will go into a ditch. He'll probably kill himself. So they put some barriers in the way. Don't come close to this. You come too close here, you might just fall over. So many places now, there's barriers at the moment, after the floods. So those barriers have been placed for what? For our protection. Allah Ta'ala placed barriers for us as well. Look after the gaze. Allah Ta'ala granted natural barriers. That when there's some person is confronted with something, that he's going to now harm his heart, then the natural barrier, it doesn't even take any effort to lower that. The hand, there's still so much of energy required to lift it. The feet, so much of energy required. Sometimes a person is so sick and so ill, he can't lift a finger. But he too can very easily move his eyelids. Allah Ta'ala made it so easy to look after the gaze. That merely put the eyelids down. Which don't take any energy. That person can't lift a finger but can move his eyelids. That's how easy Allah made it. But that's the barrier Allah Ta'ala placed for us, for our protection. Likewise, the barrier of ikhtilat. That there should be no intermingling between non-mahrams. And this has been described in the Quran Sharif in such a ajeeb way. Allah Ta'ala addresses the sahaba kiram with regards to the azwaja mutahharat. وَإِذَا سَأَلْتُمُوهُنَّ مَتَاعًا فَاسْأَلُوهُنَّ مِنْ وَرَائِ حِجَابٍ And if you have to ask, O oh, sahaba, the best group of people from the entire ummah, and the whole ummah put together can't reach the rank of one sahabi, the lowest ranking sahabi. And this band of people are being addressed that if you have to ask the azwaj mutahharat the Ummahatul Mu'mineen, for some necessity, hijab. You do it from behind the veil, behind the curtain. This is purer for your hearts and their hearts. Allah has put this veil in between. Because when this ikhtilat will happen between the genders, then it will give rise to fitna. And then these shahawat will be stirred. And then it will lead to fitna. So this too is something that has been placed as a barrier. Barrier for what? So you don't fall over the cliff. And this barrier is there for the protection of insan. Allah knows insan. What Allah created in him. So Allah Ta'ala provided the safeguards as well. So these are some of the things, but just to now move on and round up. But what is going to be the solution to all this? Obviously we have to look after these safeguards. But the primary thing is the extent of the strength of Iman, the consciousness of Allah Ta'ala that is developed in the heart. That extent of consciousness is what will become the protection for a person at every step. Yusuf Ali Salatu he is now in the home of the minister, he is a slave in this house, and therefore he has to do the functions, whatever his task that he is commanded to do. And in this process, the wife of the minister decides to now try and trap him into some wrong. So now she works out a plan and gets him into a place where she has now all the doors locked up. And he didn't realize what was her plan and agenda. Now in this moment she says, hey talak. She's calling him towards sin. And what is his immediate response? Qala Allah. I seek the protection of Allah Ta'ala. What this actually was, it was the consciousness of the heart that was speaking through the tongue. 
the consciousness of Allah Ta'ala that was deep down in the heart, that had permeated every fiber of the heart, that in this instance also, a young woman of tremendous beauty and all the apparent means of, so to say, getting caught out are not there. And as a young person confronted with this, and yet, قَالَ مَعَاذَ اللَّهِ Turns to Allah Ta'ala. This is, the, this is the safeguard to anything. <coughs> that no matter what, what a person has built up in the heart, in terms of the consciousness of Allah Ta'ala, that will save him in public, it will save him in privacy. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَخْشَوْنَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَيْبِ لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةُ وَأَجْرٌ كَبِيرٌ Allah Ta'ala says, those who fear Allah Ta'ala بِالْغَيْبِ in their privacy. And they are away in the ghayb. Away meaning from people. Nobody is around. It's him and Allah Ta'ala. But they also, he is conscious of Allah Ta'ala. He is conscious my Allah is watching. يَعْلَمُ خَائِنَةَ الْأَعْيُنُ مَا تُخْفِ الصُّدُورِ Allah Ta'ala knows the deception of the eye and what the heart conceals. Insan may not be able to see, but Allah is watching. That consciousness is there. Junaid Baghdadi, somebody asked him, but how do I protect my gaze? So now, he's asking for something, something to just help, something to now be a help on the spot. He said to him, the crux of what he said was simply this, that always be conscious that Allah's gaze is on your gaze. If somebody's wife's gaze is on his gaze, at that time where will his gaze be? So for the sake of his wife's displeasure, he's prepared to look after his gaze, to, to save that happening that his wife becomes angry with him, and she might kick him out. So therefore, he is now conscious of that, that at that moment, her gaze is on his gaze, so his gaze is very controlled. But what can she really see? And how long she is going to see? But Allah's gaze is on our gaze all the time. Allah's gaze is on our heart as well. Therefore, Allah Ta'ala says, Allah Ta'ala knows the deception of the eye, and what the heart, con- what the heart conceals. So the thing to develop in the heart is this consciousness of Allah Ta'ala. This muraqaba and this meditation to build up the consciousness of Allah Ta'ala. That Allah is all away, Allah is watching, Allah is with. Allah Ta'ala is all the time aware of what a person is doing, what he is looking at, what he is listening to, what he is speaking, what he is thinking, what he is cooking up deliberately in his heart. Allah is aware. And this comes by remembering Allah Ta'ala excessively being in the zikr of Allah Ta'ala repeatedly, in all the different forms of zikr, consciously reciting the Muslim du'as, making tilawat of the Qur'an Sharif, consciously making the zikr of Allah Ta'ala, and all these things that bring this nur into the heart, this is what illuminates the heart, and this is what strengthens it, this is what builds that bond of the heart and connection with Allah Ta'ala, then no matter a person is in public, or is in privacy, when he is confronted with sin, he will remember Allah Ta'ala. When the shahawat and temptations come, he will remember Allah Ta'ala. And he will say, Ma'az Allah. I seek the protection of Allah Ta'ala. So this is among the most fundamental aspects that a person has to now develop. This consciousness of Allah Ta'ala. This comes by being in the environments of deen, being in the environment of the masjid as much as we can. This is the environment of the malaika, being in the environment out in the path of Allah Ta'ala, in the company of the pious, 
These are the things that impact on the heart. And keeping ourselves engaged in righteousness, staying away from things that harm the phone and internet and all these devices, the fitna that this causes, that one whole hour of tilawat and ibadat and striving for deen and all the amal that were made, and then 10 minutes of haram on that phone, it washes, not just washes everything, it erodes what was there too. So now this is the thing to be conscious about, while on the one side to make more effort in terms of our amal, to bring nur into our hearts, more effort on deen, but at the same time to stay away from that which Allah Ta'ala has forbidden, to guard the gaze, to guard the heart. This is then the means of getting very close to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala give me and all of us a tawfiq. Allah Ta'ala fill our hearts with this muhabbat, fill our hearts with this consciousness, and Allah Ta'ala keep us steadfast on deen and iman at every step, and take us on perfect iman. وآخر دعوانا عن الحمد لله رب العالمين. For a few minutes we'll make some zikr and then make dua inshallah. You will recite La ilaha illallah. When reciting La ilaha, bring to mind that when saying La ilaha, all the things in our heart that are Zairullah, all the evils, all the illicit things, all the haram things, all the dirt and filth, the malice, the jealousy, whatever evils are there in the heart, we've taken all and thrown it out like some dirt and filth has come out of the heart. And then, illallah, there is this noor that is settling in the heart, which is the muhabbat and love of Allah Ta'ala. La ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah, sallallahu tabaraka wa ta'ala alayhi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi. وأصحابه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا يا ربي صل وسلم دائما أبدا على حبيبك خير الخلق كلهم جزا الله عنا نبينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهل لا إله إلا الله La ilaha illallah 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 
محمد الرسول اللہ اللہ take us on perfect ایمان یا اللہ اللہ grant us a شفاعت of رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم اللہ grant us جنت الفردوس without any reckoning یا اللہ الہ العالمین یا اللہ اللہ all those who have raised their hands to this dua all who asked us to make dua for them اللہ you don't know of each one's needs یا اللہ grant each one's joy's needs یا اللہ fulfill each one's pious aspirations یا اللہ remove each one's difficulties and hardships یا اللہ grant each one the best of dunya and akhirat یا اللہ الہ العالمین یا اللہ our greatest need is to become yours یا اللہ to become your loyal servant ya allah allah make us yours ya allah you become ours ya allah full our hearts with your muhabbat ya allah full our hearts with yaqeen ya allah ilahul alamin ya allah allah you protect us and safeguard us ya allah safeguard the entire ummah ya allah and all those who are bent on trying to harm islam and the muslims ya allah make their plans and schemes fail ya allah turn their schemes against them ya allah ilahul alamin you protect all the places of deen ya allah allah protect the masajid ya allah protect the madaris and makatib ya allah protect the efforts of dawat and tabligh ya allah protect the khanqas ya allah protect all the organizations of deen ya allah all working for the path of haq ya allah ilahul alamin ya allah you make the efforts a means of hidayat ya allah spread the winds of hidayat throughout the earth ya allah اللهم انا نسالك من خير ما سالك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم انت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوه الا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد واله وصحبه اجمعين والحمد لله